couple of quick questions for you. Raise your hand if you are useless. Dallas, okay. Yeah, just us. I think we got a, a third back there. Yeah. Okay. How many of you are full of lies? Dallas, put your hand down. Dylan, hand down. <laughs> How many of you would say that destruction and misery follows you wherever you go? These are rhetorical questions, by the way. So... Before we get into the text, a couple of weeks ago, when we were doing the, what we have dubbed the anxiety series, we had you, only if you were going to re release it to the Lord, write down what it is that you were going to uh, release to the Lord, come up here, put it in the, what was it, mixing bowls that we had? We do it in style, that's all right. What's that? Vases. So we had you do that. And myself and the elders, we have, have prayed over that, and we have looked at, at some of the responses, not to say, oh, I wonder who this is. No, we don't care. But one of the things that kept coming up that a lot of people wrote down is, and it's people in this room, at this church, and Christians everywhere struggle with, what if somebody finds out about my past? I'm afraid to not go to church, not pray, not read my Bible because my past will catch up with me. I will turn into who I was before I came to the, to the Lord. That is a very real thing that a lot of people, more than, than you would think, struggle with. It may not be the, the thing at the top of their minds that they, the number one issue that they deal with, but it is something that a lot of people struggle with. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about two fancy schmancy terms that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3. These two terms are justification and righteousness. Now next week, Tom is going to be talking more about what it means to be righteous, but we're going to introduce the concept today. But the first term is justification. That's something that I think a lot of us we, we understand, but when we look at Scripture, when we look at specifically the book of Romans, we see that there is a scriptural basis for justification. So what is justification? An easy way to remember it is just as if I've never sinned. So when we come to Christ, we have a ton of baggage. Even after we come to Christ, we still carry a ton of baggage with us. Would you agree with that? Yes. Spiritually, God sees us differently from how we view ourselves. See, the Lord doesn't penalize us. When we come to faith and, and trust in him, he doesn't penalize us for our last sin that we committed. We do. He doesn't. So there's a disconnect between us and, and the Lord. So justification, he looks at us as a brand new creation. You are made the cleanest you can possibly be. That's how God sees you. Not because you've done anything to earn that. Quite the opposite. You have placed your faith in the one who was perfect. So that's how God sees us. It's through 
Christ's righteousness, not our own. So again, justification is a divine act where God no longer penalizes us for sin when we place saving faith in Christ. So this morning, what we're going to look at, we're going to look at at chapter 3. So if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at this in three different parts. The first part, the part about the Jews. We're going to talk about the human condition, but most importantly, and this is why I said that about Revelation Psalm, the third part that we're going to look at is the work of Christ, because that is the most important. But we need to understand about ourselves before we can understand more about him, because our dirtiness amplifies his grace. It makes him all that much better in our brains. Okay, so the first part we're going to look at is the part about the Jews. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, not as much as the other two points, because this is very important. But I encourage you to go home, either after church, tonight, sometime during the week, read Romans chapter 3, because I'm going to give you kind of the the Cliff Notes version of the first eight verses. So I encourage you, if you missed last week, Nate talked on Romans chapter 2, which is about the circumcision of the heart. And what Paul is doing is he is making the case that just because you are Jew by religion or by ethnicity, that doesn't mean that you're better than anybody. He said there's some benefits to it. And that's what he talks about at the beginning of chapter 3. There are benefits to being a Jew because the, Jew, the Jews had the Old Testament. They had, in some of your translations, I believe it's chapter two, or verse 2, says that they received the oracles of God, meaning the law from God to Moses, that there are benefits to being a Jew. But he's going to make a bigger point about that here in, in, this, in this chapter. Another thing for us to understand before I bore everybody to death is if you've ever heard the term rhetoric, we hear that a lot in the political, you know, so-and-so has dangerous rhetoric. That's, that's kind of the most common that we hear. But rhetoric is arguing in a persuasive manner. And Paul gives us a master class in rhetoric. When you are trying to convince someone of something, what you do, you make your claim and then you back it up. You make your claim, you back it up. Paul under divine inspiration, does a phenomenal job with the entire letter to the Christians in Rome. What he's doing is he's saying, you got it wrong, point number one, two, three, here's why. Here's the the real truth, you got it wrong, point number one, two, three, here's why. Here's how you make it right. So Paul does a phenomenal job of doing that. So what he does is he asks a, while exuding this issue of rhetoric, he asks rhetorical questions. He does that throughout Romans, saying, should we say this then? Then he answers, certainly not. Or he'll say, should we do this then? He says, absolutely. So he's asking these questions to get you to kind of think, to persuade you, and he kind of thins out the argument. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's go ahead and throw up Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. 
And again, he's talking about the, the Jews, that there is some benefits to being a Jew. It's not like either you're a Christian or nothing. There is a benefit to the Jews because of the Old Testament. So watch what I'm talking about when it comes to rhetoric. Verse number three, he says, true, some of them, talking about Jews, were unfaithful to God. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Here's the answer, of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you'll be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. So again, these first eight verses, verses are talking about the faithfulness of God. Everyone is a liar, Jews and Gentiles alike, but God is true and remains faithful. So that's my first point right there, and I encourage you to please go back and read Romans chapter 3, especially the first eight verses, because that's it in a nutshell. Okay, so now let's talk about point number two, the human condition. When I asked who was a dirtbag out here, who was a liar, who was useless, you know, that kind of thing, here's why I was asking that. I want to show, let's, let's read Romans chapter 3 starting in verse number nine. And this is out of the New Living Translation. Paul says this, he says, well then, should we conclude that Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we, al we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Paul introduces something here, we're gonna, or we, he is going to talk more about sin as we continue to go through Romans. But what he's doing is he is making a claim that everyone is under the power of sin. And he's going to state his case. But when we read something like that, I think we need to keep in mind that is a very, very powerful statement. Sin has control over us. We are fallen people. We are prone to error. We are prone to sinfulness. We are prone to rebellion. That is our default setting, which we're going to talk about here in just a second. But sin has a grab, a power over us. I see head shaking. Yes, people understand that there is something that kind of controls that. And Paul points that out. But look at verse 10. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Not even one person is righteous. So what does it mean to be righteous? To be in right standing with God according to his standard, not mine. Not Eric's, not Danette's. God's standard, if we are accounted righteous, it is according to his standard, not our own. Not any kind of human standards. So he is saying, no one is righteous, not even one. Look at verse 11. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. This is talking about our default setting. Before we come to Christ, when we are lost, this is us. Verse 12. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. 
Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Wow. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. You can highlight verses 12 down through 18. And in the margin of your Bible, write four letters. L-O-S-T. When we don't have Christ, that's our default setting right there. What Paul does is he draws from multiple places in Psalms to come up with this list right here. Snake venom drips from their lips. Ouch. I'm not that bad, am I? Yep. Yup. Yes, I am. Am I useless? Don't ask Whitney that. I do good, verse 12. I do good, I think. Again, I think. Here's a dirty little secret. No one cares what I think. Don't amen that, Tom. No one cares what I think. Because my standard doesn't mean a hill of beans. It's the Lord's standard. That's how we measure righteousness, by his standard. Do I pass the, the bar over or under? Under every time. Paul introduces this. Jews thought that they were righteous, which we're going to talk about. So they were walking around like, yeah, I keep the law. You don't? Ooh, okay. I do. I don't know about you. I do. It's a sense of dun, 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 self righteous. That's the Pharisees. So Paul is, is giving us a, a really good understanding of kind of our default setting that we're, we're lousy people to say it, to put it mildly. But if you are saying, ouch, that's kind of, kind of a little, little too rough. Snake venom coming from my lips. I'm not that bad. Watch this. It gets worse. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet in chapter 17 says this. 17.9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives, and I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, two things in there. Desperately wicked, that's kind of harsh. But... When we understand, when our eyes are open to the truth of how good God is and his love and his grace and his mercy towards us, that makes all the sense in the world. Because we can look back and say, yeah, I thought I was good, but really I was des desperately wicked. Maybe a little wicked, desperately. That's kind of harsh. But I love at the first part, the front end of, of chapter or verse 9, the most deceitful of all things. You know what deceit is? You think one thing when in reality it's something else. The heart says, well, I'm a good person. In reality, the Lord is saying, no, you're not. You are sinful. 
So what does all of this mean? Point is, Paul, Paul uh, try that again. Paul is pointing out that there is no good person among us, either Jew or Gentile. Everyone is under the power of sin and falls short of God's righteousness, every single one of us. Back in Romans chapter 3, I'm going to look at verses 19 and 20. Because Paul goes on to, to say this after that tongue lashing he gives us. Watch in, in verses 19 and 20. He says, obviously, the law applies to, them, to those to whom it was given. Talking about the, the Jews. They re- received that divine revelation. So he said, it, was meant, it applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. That's the purpose of the law. But watch verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That is key in understanding this. Because like I mentioned before, the Jews, the Pharisees, were the religious elites that I don't stink, but you do type of people. I'm religious, you're not. I'm holy, you only wish you could be as holy as me. That was their mentality. The Jews mistook the law for being good. They perverted it to make themselves look extra good. So what am I talking about? If you guys have ever grown up with brothers or sisters, and I've used this example before, it's the best in my simple brain, but if you have kids in the back seat, they're fighting, they're squabbling, they're, you know, whatever. And you tell them, do not touch your brother again. So what does he do? Sticks his hand right in your face. Doesn't touch you. I'm not touching you. Not touching you. Mom, he's touching me. No, I'm not. Technically, I'm not touching you. But your hand is right there in their face. And that just the aggravation of the parents. Anyway, using that example, look at how the the Jews had perverted the meaning of the law. So I know our our, uh, ladies Bible study on Wednesday mornings is covering the Sermon on the Mount, which I encourage you if you're interested in that nine o'clock over here. Um, There is a lot to the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to point this out. Jesus said on the issues of, let's just say, lust and murder. See, the the righteous Jews were saying, well, I hate that person. I hate Jesse, but I haven't killed him, so technically I'm good. Technically I'm good. Or on the issue of lust of, well, yeah, I, I fantasize all the time, but I'm not acting on it, so I'm good. Jesus is saying, no, no, you got it all wrong. If you hate someone in your heart, if you hate Jesse enough, that's already, you've already crossed God's standard. You may have skirted the law in Northwest Arkansas by not physically murdering him, but you have crossed that moral line, that standard that God has set, you have crossed it. Jesus is telling them, you hear this, but this is the original intent of it. Same thing with something like lust. So technically you're not doing it, but your heart has already done it. So 
when they go around saying, well, I hate all these people, but I haven't killed anybody, they are self-righteous. They are doing it according to their standard, not God's. So that's the second point, the human condition. Here's where it gets really, really, really good. This is part number three. This is the work of Christ. So let's pick this up in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Paul spells it out for us. He says in verse 22, we are made right with God. And I want to put a parenthesis right there. Righteous according to God's standard, not our own. God's standard by dun, 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 what? Placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Does that include the Jews? Yup. Does that include the worst Gentile, non-believer, dirtbag that you can find? Yep. That person on death row who is about to meet their maker, that sounds weird in a church, but especially in a sermon, but who is about to go to the They don't do the electric chair anymore, but you know what I'm saying. If they place their saving faith in Christ, does that apply to them? The answer is yes. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So again, there's that term justification, that fancy term. We are justified at that point. Our penalty was paid by Christ. So everything that goes against God needs to have a penalty attached to it. When we are justified in the Lord's sight, we are saved from his wrath. And that's a word you don't hear in a lot of American churches anymore is the wrath of God, but I'm telling you it is very real. Scripture is very clear about the wrath of God. Because guess what? When we have snake venom coming from our lips, our heart being deceitfully wicked or desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and we are liars, destruction and misery follows us, we are worthy of wrath. We are worthy of that. But it is Christ who paid that penalty for me, who paid it for you. It is His righteousness, not my own. So we are saved from that wrath. If you think back to before you were saved, you thought that you were good, but really you weren't. Looking back, you're like, oh, gosh, for all of the sin that I've done, God should have poured out his wrath on me. But because of his mercy, Jesus paid that penalty for us. This means... My past will never come back to haunt me, sinfully speaking. That sin that I did 10 years ago, God doesn't hold it against me. I may still remember it, but God does not hold me accountable for that. I have been judged through Jesus Christ. And again, when we think, oh my gosh, my past is going to catch up to me. People are going to find out that thing that I did. 
We may think that in our brains, but God looks at it differently. He says, you are justified. You are made new. I toss those into the sea and remember them no more. Every single sinful thing that you've done, I have forgotten it because I see you through the blood of my son. That's how God sees us. That's how we are accounted righteousness. It's because of the work of Christ. Many people think God will come back and get us for every little thing that we've done, but I tell you, we have already been judged. So let's continue in verse 23. And if you're familiar at all with the the Roman road of leading someone to salvation, verse 23 should be very familiar to you. It says, for everyone has sinned, we fall short of God's glorious standard. Absolutely, we do. But watch this. Here's where it really, really gets good. Verse 24, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That is justification in a nutshell. God's grace freely, it means you don't have to pay enough money to whoever to do this, freely makes us right in his sight according to his standard. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. We could just come every Sunday, read Romans 3.24 and be like, amen. That's all we need right there. That's the gospel in one verse. But he goes on, verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they, what is that, give enough money? No. When they go to church enough? Nope. Let me see. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. People are made right with God when they believe in the work of Jesus Christ. There is no works that we need to do in order to get that right there. It was freely given, as we saw in verse 24. But he goes on. He's on a roll here. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. Talking about all sin past, all sin future. But watch this. God did this. What is this? Talking about sacrificing Christ in his blood. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness a demonstration of his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus now that is not my opinion that is no one's opinion that is directly from God's word He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And here's that little word again that we talked about a couple weeks ago. When they have faith in Jesus. What is faith? Relinquishing trust in ourselves, putting that trust into God. I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't 
earn my way to righteousness. I can't earn my way into God's good graces, but Christ can. It needs to be less about me and more about Christ. So let's look at verse, uh, verse 31 on there. It should be the next one. There we go. Look at verse 31. It says, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Now that's talking about the law that the Jews had, but here is the work of Christ. And I want to bring to remembrance, faith is in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. Jesus famously said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 17. He tells this to his disciples. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, No, I came to accomplish their purpose. In other words, I came to fulfill the law. Meaning, here was the original intent. You guys have kind of messed it up and put it over here. It needs to be, here's why I came for the original intent. So it is through faith that we do that. It is about faith in Jesus Christ, not ourselves, Not any of our good works, which Isaiah says are like oily, filthy rags. We think that we're self-righteous. No, it is all about the work of Christ. That's why worship is so important about Christ. Christ Christ-centered teaching, Christ-centered worship. This entire book, this entire Bible is about Christ and his plan of redemption for each of us. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word that has gone forth. Lord, we thank you that you divinely revealed your word to the Apostle Paul who could help us to understand what your word is is talking about. That we can be justified just as if we had never sinned. That we can be that new creation to see ourselves how you see us. That we could be counted righteousness, again, not for anything that we have done, but for what Christ has done. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of this. This may be something that we have heard 50 times in our life, or this may be the first time. But Father, we thank you for this reminder that it is all about Jesus Christ and his work. Not us, not our attendance, not our desires of our hearts, but truly in the work of Christ. And Father, if there is someone here or online who has never surrendered and placed saving faith in Christ, I ask that you help them to do that today. That maybe this message helped them to see that we have maybe been trying to earn God's good grace, but it is a gift that is freely given because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, again, we thank you for this. We ask that you help us as we leave here today to be reminded of this, that it is all about his work, his righteousness, 
not our own. It is according to your standard, not ours. Father, we thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.